0: This is Tom from Third Rail Design Lab.
1: And Chris from Deeply Dapper.
0: And we're coming to you from an echo chamber deep within the crypt. And it's time to... (laughs) Everybody's dying! Not everybody (laughs) is dying! And and, and such. Release the... Deeply dapper. Three recordings in three weeks. What is up, Mister Tom with the th? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, uh, as with uh, characters from a certain show we watched. I'm just thankful to see the dawn. You know. <laughs> as I was watching epi- elements of uh, this most recent episode of Game of Thrones, we're going to be talking about. I, I was seeing images of creatures climbing over walls and being pushed away, and and the 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 inevitable onslaught of the wave of oppressive uh, chaos coming over them. And I thought that it felt like such a metaphor for my job. <laughs> 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 but anyway, <laughs> right. yeah, but, you, um,
1: know, you yeah. know, what isn't a metaphor for, for it is how, how much longer your job is going to last. Than the episode. Although it, it was a long episode.
0: It was a long episode. So here, here we are for another of our, our uh, quick uh, discussions about game of thrones season 8 uh, this is another abridged episode for us we're not going to do all the fun uh, dilly-dally that we normally do we're going to get right to it spoilers that's abound what, if it, you it just haven't yeah. figured that out already yeah you're absolutely right and and i and that's a good good segue to a major thing for me when this weekend was we had the i had the back-to-back this episode on a sunday night and then avengers on the monday morning and I was so desperate to avoid spoilers for both. And it was so bad on Sunday that, well, uh, I was you know, here on the West Coast. We're the last ones, right? And right. I'm still trying to deal with getting my kids to bed. And you texted me, turn off your phone. <laughs> spoilers, I've worse never than ever.
1: seen spoilers from Game of Thrones or any show appear online
0: as quickly as it did with this episode. It's really like, discouraging. <laughs> yeah, I started looking at it afterwards, you know, like on Twitter and stuff, and I thought, my God, man! I mean, I, I actually kind of expected it was going to be the other way. With I thought Avengers yeah. was going to have more of a spoiler problem, but it almost I seems like so yeah, it almost seems like a lot of the Avengers fans, the fan fans, took it seriously because the creators and actors posted all those videos just saying, "Don't,"
1: <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: Whereas Game of Thrones, it's like,
1: you know, this should be implied by now, but apparently fucking not, because here's 74 animated gifs of the climactic scene within 30 seconds of the episode ending.
0: That, I mean, it really sucks. And the thing is, also, it's like there's the culture around talking about Game of Thrones online is to bitch about it and to race to talk about details just to prove you saw it on time. It's stupid. Yeah. Yeah. So... And and we do have to apologize for any technical difficulty. When you're listening to this, if it sounds a little, um, little echo chambery, it's because uh, once again we're having some technical difficulties with the, uh, with the, uh, with the internet, and who knows what else.
1: Everything, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm on Wi-Fi in a shed in zero degree weather, and you're. In what What are you 87 there? And <laughs> <laughs> it's a balmy
0: 79 right now in here, but yes.
1: What harm could Liana Stark's ghost do to either of us that we haven't done to each other a hundred times over?
0: Someone took her away from me, and seven kingdoms couldn't fill the hole she left behind. <laughs> Episode yeah. three of six. What um, was this one called. They, so I guess they only show the episode name after it airs. And, you know. Yeah, apparently. I don't know, because I, I watch it right after you, so it's like I have to restart it. But um, Oh, and that's this thing I was going to mention. Not suggesting in any way that you and I are sharing a, um, an HBO account, but... Well, no, when, everybody, I think everyone at HBO it's fully established that you have a vacation home in Pocatelo, Idaho. Well, of course. <laughs> but when I go in, I see the last frame of it. <laughs> really? So it, in my in my you know eclipse a frame every 15 seconds or something like that and so when i go when i went into it it was just john snow surrounded by darkness with this like astonished look on his face and i don't <laughs> even know why i think it was i don't know what it was what well, but all i know is <laughs> i was just like restart That's hilarious. <laughs> but um uh it, it was called the long night oh, the, okay. oh that makes yeah sense. yeah and um uh did, when you saw it <laughs> you were spoiled before you saw it uh what do you mean you were spoiled, right? But the, uh, the internet ruined it for you? No, no. Oh, good. Okay. No, I went into it completely.
1: But we... Okay. I don't even get on my phone for the most part on Game of Thrones days because I know that people suck. But yeah. no, we, we we were not spoiled by it. Oh, that's good.
0: I well, was, was aware
1: that there were things to be spoiled.
0: Yes. But... Well, this was definitely um, one of the big episodes. We know from the way it's mapped out and who's doing them, what episodes are going to be... Um, intense uh, or and over others, and then also because of the narrative structure after the way last episode was such a uh, swan song for all these characters and this love letter right before Armageddon. So, you know, you <laughs> going in, I had such palpable tension starting yeah. like I was, it was hot in the house and I was shivering just because I was like, uh, you know, and and to be fair, and and I, and I want to address some of the criticism right out of the gate um, that I've been seeing online over the last uh, day or two. I appreciate that people, particularly those who are watching in less than ideal conditions, I, I appreciate that there was a lot of complaining about the light levels of. I think I think it's BS. I think it was I think, perfectly fine. Well, <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. I think that there are people who who watch these for atmosphere, and people who are just following the plot so they can talk to, talk about it. And I think it's. Yeah, they're, I think, they're watching it. In the living room with nine other people while they're cooking dinner or something. Yeah, the lights are on and who knows what. And frankly, yeah. their their opinions are valid. It is. Yeah. It was a dark and murky episode, but to me, and I and I read an interview with the uh, the lighting designer just as I have on some of the other episodes, like these these incredible uh, some of the most incredible episodes, particularly when it comes to dealing with either the forces of the Night King or. Mm-hmm. Uh, night ba- night based battles Battle of the Bastards was murky. The whole Yeah I you know it, it uh, Hard home was murky. So it is what it is. But I thought it in each case there was a powerful reason for some of the choices made in color and lighting. But it was especially like going in paying attention to it, I thought it was incredibly it was like Carter Burwell not Carter Burwell, who am I thinking of? The mm-hmm. um the Cohn Brothers cinematographer anyway oh yeah but yeah the le- the level of detail in how color and light was used to convey things about the story was just masterclass it was amazing like the
1: the shots were suddenly the, the clouds would open up oh god there were certain things you could see and just oh man there were there were elements of it that i was just literally gobsmacked at how gorgeous it looked i never yeah. once like not even for a minute was like oh my god that's Good CG. It was literally just that yeah. is gorgeous and amazing.
0: There was, um, it, it, especially early on, the fact that it was a pre-dawn battle and it was a moonless sky. Uh, I mean, think about movies like The Revenant and stuff where they try to use natural light to convey realism. Um, you know, if you ever go out and try to see anything at night, it's terrible. That right. our eyes are not designed and so it was a very real it was a realism boosting thing that they're showing everything in blue and dark and murky and even when they give you the cam even when they give you the camera uh, angle of the dothraki racing off they don't see oh, anything yeah. until ten feet before they hit it right yeah and and immediately thereafter there's the ice storm which blinds everybody else and blinds the dragons which was just so just, we were complaining about not enough strategy before but look at that you know <laughs> yeah
1: yeah. So, absolutely.
0: but also the fact that um, it was so dark and murky and you have that MacGuffin, they're all lined up and the incredible shots of their, of their force, which <laughs> was really, it was the first time we'd really seen the scale of their, of their uh, capability and how they'd all lined themselves up and had the trebuchets and everything. And when they had the red uh, witch come in and do the thing, touch the blades and have the blades all light up and you had oh, all okay. these that are make- you have all this burst of red and, and light, and you see her eyes. Right, glowing? And all and then, those crescent blades, so they look like comets almost. As oh yeah, running. it just it was like, gorgeous stuff. I read an article today about um, the history of the way horseback battles are presented in cinema, and how they're almost always used on the antagonist. Right, that it's always mm-hmm. it's the scary antagonist that's on horseback. And it's this wave of inevitable force that the people yeah. on foot, or the protagonists, have to deal with, and how it was an inversion of it to uh, do it for the heroes, right? And make you feel this this hope and spirit, like maybe they're going to accomplish something when they race off, and then to have the music stop, and have the camera stay for the most part with everybody back at base, and you yeah. just watch Fireflies Fireflies burn out. I thought that was so incredibly effective. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. It spoke about how little information they had, the scale of distance, and also the loss of hope.
1: God, it was so horrible. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. So, I, so I don't know how we. I mean, I almost feel like so anybody who's listening to this saw the episode, so they all know what happened. <laughs> I almost feel like we just kind of roll through the different characters and the and what they experienced in this episode, because otherwise, we're just doing a play by play, and we don't need to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, you start who do you want to talk about well let's let's look at it this way and say
1: maybe an order of the, the, how they arrive on screen <laughs> we could was but that? I don't remember it that well ah. if you want to do that we can but um, I was just thinking more like okay so Sam didn't do much but okay. they really did manage to make you feel his
0: terror at what he was doing Okay, we'll start at Sam. Um, yes, he made a choice to come back mm-hmm. onto the line instead of going into the crypt. He was te- right petrified. The episode started with them handing him dragonglass. Right. And when he finally makes his way to the front, what's his name of the night guard who looks like he should be in, the, in rush? I forget his name. He says, what took you so long? Which was, I mean, it's lost in that episode of all the things that happened, but what a show of respect from his Night's Watch brother when he had been just shit all over and disrespected and just assumed to be just the biggest pansy ever through his entire time with them. Yeah. And he shows up and, they, and that guy says, you know, what took you so long? If there had been a moment to breathe and he could even think about it, that would have been incredibly validating for him. Yeah. You think, Especially he, given, you think
1: Dolorous Ed looks like he should be in rush? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Also, I have no idea what Rush is.
0: (laughs) Neil Pert. It looks like that. But also, um, I think uh, it was also interesting because in the previous episode, when, or no, the first episode, whichever it was, when, yeah, I guess the first one, when the Night's Watch uh, survivors and Tormund and his group came back, came to Winterfell, Samuel is like, so all smiles and then he sees John go and embrace them and he embraces the Night's Watch guy from Rush. Mm-hmm. And you see Sam's face kind of distance a little because he knows or he's seeing that John has a connection with other warrior guys he respects in a different way. He sees yeah. those guys in a different way than he sees Sam, who is someone who needs to be protected because he's worthless in a battle. And yeah. the and the frustration that he feels because he knows hey i was one of the, i was the first one to injure a white walker but at the same time everybody knows i'm screwed yeah everybody so, knows uh, that you can't yeah. do it on purpose there sam exactly <laughs> you um, can only but anyway put yeah. on those laurels for so long so he was very much used in the way that uh, they used tyrion in the battle of uh, was it blackwater bay or is that what it's called battle of the blackwater yeah yeah, they used Tyrion in the same way, which was the the narrator's view through the, so I should say the point of view of the viewer in a pan, in panic mode in battle. Right? Tyrion was like whoa, and then fell on his back and was stepped on and whatever. Oh, you talked about that. A different When the Blackwater
1: was where he was, he was actually doing things until he got half his face cut in half. Yeah, but right, but then he fell. Right, then he fell in the muck. Or maybe not. that, maybe you're that out, was the you're other out. battle where he went in with Shagar son of Shagoff or whatever, and where he met uh, yeah, right. up with his dad after escaping the airy and stuff. So you're, you're
0: confusing the you... only two battles Tyrion were in. So uh, <laughs> this is what you get with uh, Robot Kraken. It's medium content. Uh, so anyway, my point being though that uh, Samuel was the panic the panic character in the battle that we relate to as viewers who are not combat people. For those of us who right. are right. Um, the other thing I would say about Sam that I thought was incredibly powerful was that in the third act of the episode, when Jon Snow is racing back into the keep to try to get to Bran, he sees Sam completely overrun. He's overwhelmed, they're pinning him down, he's screaming, he's got bugaboos just crawling up his neck, and he's just begging and John looks at him and keeps going. Yeah, he has that to was make the choice, yeah it was it was an incredibly it was an evolution for Jon Snow
1: mm-hmm. it was
0: powerful that he did even yeah. though even though the trick of things was that he didn't actually do the fight he wasn't in the final moment the, you know, the pivotal moment that he's been yeah. broadcast as being the one to do this but at the fact that he made that choice was incredibly powerful to me Jon Snow was kind of useless in this episode I have to say well, so I read. The, okay, so all right, maybe we'll jump to that then. I I don't know. I, I've read that, and a lot of people's a lot of people are making fun of John and, and Danny in this episode. And and while I think that they did, there was a there's very much a point to the fact that the strategy they had in place was undermined, but it was undermined by Danny, right. who didn't follow the plan, and right. raced off. They were supposed to wait until the Night King showed up and then attack, and right. she. She bolted, and forcing him to follow, which put them on the defensive. Which he has no to room to complain about, since that's exactly what he did with the Battle of the Bastards. Agreed. They're very similar in that way. Very similar in that way. And, to be fair, when has Jon Snow had military training? In right. all of this, he went, the, he went to the wall, and then he came back, and he was just put in a position. But it's not like he has formal military training, compared right. to and generals and people. Like he has a natural affinity, but he
1: wasn't even directly trained at Winterfell. He was just kind of in the peripheral right.
0: side with the rest of the kids, right? But I would say each of them had a part to play when things got when things got down to it. Danny certainly did a. She had her moment, even though it didn't work, where she blasted the Night King with dragon, with uh, Dragonfire. And we mm-hmm. had just been talking last time. I like to think because we're recording these so free, close together, we can talk about what we. What we hypothesized, you know, but I mean, you know, so there's your answer about whether Dragonfire affects the Night King. The answer apparently is yep. no. Um, nope. But also, mm-hmm. yeah. But also, it was a really cool scene that she she gets to emit her killing blow. It's like she did the combo on the controller, and then she's like, us. and she thinks she's just going to atomize him, and then yeah. he walks out of it, and she's like, oh, "Shit." <laughs> <laughs> he actually smiled in that scene, and I thought that was interesting. Yes. That was the the only time he's really shown any expression yep and then later in the episode he's got a couple of like twitchy eyes and weird little expressions when he's looking at Bran so that was a whole lot of fun too but also they don't do a lot to they don't seem to acknowledge the fact that they have direct and absolutely harrowing experience with the fact that the White Walkers and the Night King use icy lances and that they have to protect themselves from their approach when they have a one a, you know, a uh, close combat encounter with them, mm-hmm. they need to come in on. They have to strafe, or they have to do things to try to protect themselves. They know there is evidence that these guys shoot, throw these lances that'll fuck up a dragon or whatever. Right, and they already right. lost one, and yet they still just kind of came at him and at his uh, his undead dragon. But she did at least get the killing shot. It just didn't work. And when also yeah. when when she and Jorah were on the ground, um, keep it in mind that both she and Jon should have had their backs broken many times in this episode. But <laughs> when she and Jorah are like surrounded by bugaboos and they're fighting, she did get a couple of good swipes in. She certainly, she that, certainly found was, her way. I like that it was clear that, that
1: the way they shot that they shot it like Danny had never picked up a sword before. Yes,
0: and, and I think they did that convincingly. And they did it, but they also showed that she she mustered, and I think <laughs> that's a pivotal thing for her. She 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 spilled non blood, <laughs> yeah. Like she actually had to do some, do it instead of having someone do it for her in that moment, and uh, I thought that was effective. As far as yeah, John goes, though, it. so people complaining that John was you know ineffective, uh, I don't know. I think that it's a it's a it's an accident of the narrative that they chose that the way this ends up is that he is not the one that does that. But.
1: Well, uh, honestly like that, that is something that I think I have a lot of thoughts about that. I'm not sure how to unpack, but I just meant in general, like what he did on the dragon could have just as easily been the dragon flying around. John didn't even have to be there for that.
0: <laughs> well, but he was, they, they were showing a lot of him yanking, yanking, uh, Yanking yeah. spine, spines left and right, and he he very aggressively went after the the undead dragon and and mm-hmm. and would would make those attacks. And he did relentlessly attack to the point where he at least got the dragon down. Yeah, unfortunately not yeah. dead. And then the other thing about it, I actually really appreciate. I appreciate failure in war stories. Like I think that that's a more interesting part of the real experience of war than heroes just. Um, I, b- beating the odds. And he was very realistic to me. Even as he's plowing through, not not so much when he was surrounded by bugaboos, because that felt very Battle of the Bastards and mm-hmm. fucked, and just to show he doesn't give up kind of thing. But when he was oh, running through... When the night just turned his back on him and walked off, like, you you are nothing. Oh, and he that raises was so everybody. He just raises everybody that uh, we knew he was going to yeah. do. Everybody that we knew. But... When John is trying to get his he's fighting his way through, he's running and hacking, he's trying to get racing. That that is a trope we've seen in a lot of media where the hero's racing against time desperately trying to get to someone in peril. But I love that he was stopped by the <laughs> immovable object of an of the undead dragon blasting him and forcing him into cover. Yeah. Um, I kept expecting that he was gonna jump up and do a stab and then a stab in the throat too. kind of thing. Yeah, I was sure he was
1: gonna uh, mad Mardigan it and jump up onto the top of its mm-hmm. head and just shove it into the. Yeah, I was certain that that was going to happen. So
0: I, I don't know because I don't because I didn't read the books and because I think that the idea of the prophecy is a little wishy washy because especially because it keeps changing. <laughs> um, I was fine with him not being the kill the the one who was pivotal in the final moments of this episode though I still think he will have a role to play in the end of the season But my problem with that is that the prophecy has always been
1: about the long night it's not been about what yeah. Yahoo sits on the friggin throne right, right? so if they can't figure out how to make Arya
0: fit that convention, they've made a mistake or the prophecy doesn't mean anything because one of, the things that, one of the things that this show has been good about is that they haven't prioritized one religion over any of the others as being the right one.
1: The right, children but of that
0: the prophecy
1: has been believed in by more than just the
0: Lord of the Light, guys. That's true. It, but I'm just saying that just because it's a prophecy doesn't mean it's true. And I agree. What do you think it a does prophecy put, is, man? You're a
1: bastard apologist, <laughs> but you don't believe in prophecies? <laughs> Listen, I'm a what kind of apologist? You're a bastard apologist. You're like, oh, don't, John.
0: John's a good guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, I get you. Well, all, all I'm saying is there are elements like that where you get forced out. It's the you get forced out of the verisimilitude and you're and you're back to thinking about it in terms of them creating this product. The
1: problem, though, is that you're coming at it from a hard sci-fi point of view, and I'm coming at it from a fantasy point of view.
0: Okay, but when you look at this, just like you look at the way, and we won't talk about the details, but when you look at the, the burden on Avengers Endgame, that you have so much weight is applied to some very specific end results that are supposed to happen and there's only a certain number of ways that this can go and everybody mm. has drilled down to death about it in the comments and in their theories and everything mm. else the fact that they, I mean we talked you and I talked about Arya being the one who kills the Night King a long time ago it, was, it would be yeah. a cool if, you know but the idea that there's so many people wedded in the in the idea that that the prophecy has to be fulfilled and it has to be one of these few people based on interpretation. And the mm-hmm. fact that they decided to say no. And you're right. Maybe they'll come up with a reason for it. But just, I was able to enjoy it without that. I was able to enjoy it just for the experience because, and there's parallels, a little, few parallels to Avengers that you'll find as well. But I just love the fact that I forgot about Arya at that. When mm-hmm. she ran off, because the Red Witch definitely... I come to the conclusion that she was the one to do something. Yeah. And she yeah. definitely, I mean, and we definitely got the sense that she was pushing Arya forward, but when she sends, when she, you see her, like, kind of steal her, kind of tighten her jaw and say, fuck it, I'm off, and she runs off, I I did forget about her and, and until she jumped. <laughs> like, it was, yeah. Really, yeah, it was effective for me. It, it totally worked for me. I was like, yes! Yeah. Like, it was. Yeah, and it was great, too, because
1: Arya had taken that head wound and it kind of shook her Training, yeah. He was scrambling and uh, the Red Witch kind of just hit the reset button for her. And um, I thought that was yeah. really effective, actually. And I love that that's Barak fulfilling the reason why the Lord of Light kept bringing him back as he
0: saved her so that she could do what yeah. she needed to do. Totally. All of that tied together beautifully. Both he and the Red Witch had destinies tied to playing their parts in in putting these pieces into position, which was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so you know, already doing that final that final jump, though, I will say that beyond just not wanting to have been being glad I didn't get spoiled about the, the big plot point, mm-hmm. I'm also glad that I came into that cold because it's kind of like the first time you see The Sixth Sense. I mean, you can't ever get that back, or the first time yeah. you watch. Yeah, absolutely. You know, The Crying Game or Unusual, the usual suspects, if it's spoiled for you or any of the other times you rewatch it, you never have that magic. And that right. is the biggest crime of spoilers for people who stumble into them, who didn't ask for the spoiler is like that scene would have been so different if I knew she was the one she was going to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. God. It yeah, all it, hinged on not knowing it was going to happen. Incredibly effective. Very, very well done. I
1: thought. I mean, yeah, some people can quibble about how she got there. But the simple fact is, is if they'd
0: shown her getting there, then it wouldn't have had the same effect. Right. And also, they'd they shown her dog here. She was shifting and moving around. She knows that place inside and out. They had the whole Jurassic Park sequence of her hiding from them in the library and yep. all that. And by the way, how great was it? It was three different movies in one episode, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, in really terms of, well done.
0: Yeah. And because it was, I mean, it may have been a Jurassic Park trope, but they did it really well. It was really yeah. effective. Yeah, um, it was great. It reminded and, me a lot
1: of uh, the Jane Levy movie. Um, oh. I think uh, it's called Don't Breathe. Uh, okay. Where yeah. they're in the house with the blind guy, and, like,
0: all of that is just incredibly tense it was great and i loved okay so so okay so, okay wait so finishing the one thought um i think that it's plausible that she knowing her way around once she got out of there and if she could get up to a higher ground she could work way across the roofs and jump down exactly so it didn't yeah, it wasn't irrational to me no not at all and, and everybody had, was super focused on the Night King, too. Yeah, and she, was, and, and she had a reason. It wasn't like, uh, you know, a lot of movies, it's just random, like, why are people where they are? But the whole thing was brands in the courtyard as bait. So she had a reason to go there. So right. it's not like, it did make sense to me. It, it it passed that test for me. Now, Yeah, I had no problems with that at all. With the whole thing about Arya's arc in this episode, I loved how many callbacks there were to her origin and to her evolution. Mm-hmm. And I loved that the Red Witch was quoting her old Swordsmaster. Yeah. And granted, that may have been a a mantra that they used, but I just loved that it implied that she knew a lot about Arya's history and her life in a supernatural way, because she directly quoted him. Yeah. Um, Yeah. As you know, because you have an amazing Kickstarter out right now that features (laughs) that very quote. I do. Uh, Deeply Dapper on Kickstarter. Sign yeah, me up for the got, mon- Yeah, I've got a. it
1: funded tonight, so it's got like 13 days left as of this recording, so probably
0: 10 or so by the time you're listening to this. But, yeah. De- I, I definitely need the monochrome uh, one of that, by the way. Yeah,
1: <laughs> anyway. It's really funny to me because I, I, mm-hmm. I sketched that while I was at C2E2 a month ago, and the only tweak I made after this episode was I added a little bit more of the horn aspect to mm-hmm. the ice around it. Yeah. But that was literally just me like – sitting bored behind my booth at C2E2 sketching, and I
0: was like, oh my god, it's perfect for this episode. So. I just love the fact that whenever the pin is released, and people buy it and put them on, and they walk around, that someone's going to point at it and go, spoiler! Yeah! <laughs> okay, so, uh, going back to Arya and, and her in the library, so her whole arc, I love that in the first act, she's just t- kicking ass and taking names, and everyone is just like, holy shit. She is really as, as good as you know, she has been mm. leading us up to realizing that she is just amazing. The other characters were tripping. We were tripping. Yeah. The zombies were tripping. The whites were like, wait, 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 you know. <laughs> and then I like that they um, they neutered her a little bit by having her have that head, head hit. Because yeah. That's, yeah. That, so that is the kind of thing that I loved about Daredevil, right? Mm-hmm. I loved when they would show physical interactions with the environment. Leading to a reduction in their abilities. Daredevil yeah. would get exhausted from being one guy beating up 50 guys. And so he's just stumbling around the hallway, just, uh, you know, barely, barely being able to lift his arms. I love that she got smacked in the head and was disoriented and lost a lot of her ability. Yeah, I thought I did, it was great. Uh, great. Absolutely great. Absolutely great. Otherwise, she's just swinging around like a martial artist in the middle of this. It would be very um, tonally disconnected. Yeah. Yeah, and it gives you more tension, right? So in that in that library scene, my favorite part of the whole thing was the. It wasn't a jump scare, but I love that she stumbles into a female white at the end of the sequence, and <laughs> she immediately and you hear the shluck and you think that she is yeah. a total bait and switch. You think she got stabbed, and she actually got it in the face or under the under the jaw or whatever. And I yeah. loved... It was so visceral that it goes, uh, and then it just comes down on her shoulder. Spewing yeah. spewing white guts or whatever on her and she has to be like, Don't scream. Carefully drop it to the ground. I mean it was like it was so there was so much about her in that moment that she was able to hold her shit together.
1: Yeah. Loved. Yeah, I thought that scene was excellent. One of my favorite I scenes. Do I do love that scene. entire sequence. So they got the uh the guy that isn't Doug Jones that I really like to do a lot of the the one white man <laughs> stuck under the table there. I love yeah. that guy. Yeah. <laughs> the, the guy night. that isn't Doug Jones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah, it was just an excellent sequence. And I, I honestly it was it was my favorite part of the episode. I, like I yeah. love the dragon stuff. I thought it was gorgeous. It was really well done for what it was. But that the whole horror movie aspect
0: of it was just excellent. Yeah. Well, because and I love that they moved from the massive scale horror of the war sequence in the first act, and then mm-hmm. they shifted into the oppressive zombie horror component of fast moving swarm hive mind yeah mud, uh drowning in a mudslide or drowning in a in a in a tsunami horror of them going over the ramparts and that whole thing and just grabbing, Mm -hmm. pulling yanking. Everything that Shaun of the Dead for example, for all of its humor really hammered home, right? When the guys pulled out of the place, tear his guts apart. I mean, that's all the stuff that makes uh, swarms of zombies the most effective you can make them, and especially fast ones, right? So going from that and then suddenly shifting gears and it becoming a um, you know, a uh, 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 hunter and hunted yeah. tension piece. I, I, I was just like, "Wow, man!" <laughs> and also, how effective is that in terms of the story, the plotting for a ninety-minute episode or whatever it was? Oh, yeah, yeah right. It was perfect. That they, they, it, they allowed that sequence to be bookended by two other very interesting, sort of more dramatic sequences, and oh, man, worked great. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and then also, finally, in her final act with the night king, and then he grabbed her on the neck. And she does that thing that she had practiced with Brienne, and we'd seen her do it, where she flips it, drops the knife into her other hand, and stabs. So great, yeah. Great callback to something that we've seen her do, as opposed to so many projects which just would have been like, you know, here's a cool move that this person <laughs> shouldn't even know how to do. We'd, we'd seen her train that move, train for that move. I love that. And then I also love the the synchronicity of the fact that she stabbed the Night King in the same place where I mean, she stabbed him in the ribs or the upper ribs, but roughly, she stabbed him in the chest, which evoked how he was created by the children. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that was just... uh, Man, so much about this episode that was just amazing. The whole Liana thing. Not Liana, what's her name? Well, yeah, Liana.
0: um, Liana, yeah. So let's talk about her. Um, Badass, badass. She -hmm. was my MVP for the episode, as much as Arya kicked ass in the final moment. She was my favorite killer move in the episode. Yeah, absolutely. It was tragic that she got trampled. She got smacked. She got trampled. She got lifted and crushed. She got crushed in her own armor. Yeah. She manages to pull... Like, just the idea that this 11-year-old or whatever just had the fortitude to be like, fuck you, and stab him in the face, mm. and then... And then the tragedy of her being reanimated. You know, it's just... yeah. And, and it reminded me about how they aged up all these characters in the story from what George R. R. Martin's books showed where they are all right. like so many of these characters were her age. So all mm-hmm. the horrific things happening in the books are like that, that person. Right. <laughs> and so we're all, we're like, whoa, you know, like you're just trying to buy, trying to Venmo coffee certificates to this young, uh, 11 year old, uh, you know, house house Lord. When in fact, Not in really. his books, they were all that way, <laughs> but, yeah. but it's just yeah. really effective yeah. to me. She's just so effective. I love her. Yeah, she she was perfect. I am so
1: happy that they realized that and gave her a larger role. I think that was just such a smart move. So let's see. So who else is deaf? So
0: we got uh, Theon. He uh, he he died. Yeah, All right. Well, pretty... let's talk, let's talk about Theon's uh, role in this episode. We knew that he took on a position that was pretty. Uh, it was a very much a a moratorium. Mm -hmm. He knew if he was taking the taking the position of leading the people to a a ring of 20 people protecting Bran, he knew that that was pretty slim odds. Yeah. But the way he handled it was, I mean, talk about a redemption arc. He was a badass. He was more interesting to watch than Hawkeye in fucking Avengers movies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He was just he was blasting, blasting, blasting. And I loved the reach for the empty quiver. Mm-hmm. Right, because in in Hollywood movies, when people run out of ammo and they're like, click click and they stare at their gun, you're like dumbass, you know. But in that ima- in that environment where he's just being surrounded and he's just pl- mowing down these people, and one by one, all the other guys are out, and he's click 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 until he's out. And now yeah. all he's left with is a bow. I mean, granted, he should have had a dra- you know dra- a dragon. Uh, a dragon glass blade as well, but the, but the point is, I thought it was incredibly cool that it, it showed that he ran out of steam when he ran out of ammo, not right. from from cowering from fear of being over, overwhelmed. I mean, well, think technically about his his spear that he had was dragon
1: glass tipped, but he's not a spear guy. So <laughs>
0: what spear what spear did he have? That's did what he, he ran at the night king with. I couldn't tell whether he was running with a spear or whether he was running with his bow. Like, Yeah, no, he was out. carrying a dragonglass spear. Hmm, okay. Well, think of how much, how different the Theon in this scene is from the Theon that saw the odds on his sister Yara being captured. <laughs> 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 Looking at him in that burning ship with all those horrible dead sand snakes, and he just jumped, <laughs> right? Like, it's just... He's out! <laughs> yeah, so, I, 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 I've loved the character of Theon, Not for not just for all the sausage waving and all that stuff, but I love the idea that he has been fighting the like many characters in this show. He's fighting the the concept of living up to your parents' expectations and your destiny as a man and all this horseshit, and how much he failed and how middle, how murky he is from the good decisions and the bad decisions, and then trying to make up for the bad decisions. I love that he redeemed himself with Sansa, and then abandoned Yara. And then yeah. rescued Yara, and then finally did this, even though he knew he was doomed. I thought it was really yeah. interesting. I, you know, I, his his run at the Night King was interesting to me because he knew he was dead, and he mm-hmm. made his choice on how he was going to go out. I like that. Yeah, I liked. No. It, I liked that he was left on the ground quivering and gl- gl- you know, growling gl- gl- and not being able to do anything because that's real. And they just all
1: passionate was passionate little little bit. Yep, that's how I talk tonight.
0: Just in case yes. anybody's wondering. <laughs> Passionless, passionlessly, passionlessly stepped over him. Yeah. <laughs> well, there was definitely a lot of that sort of. It almost seemed like Jet Lee Li was involved. Like when the Night King grabbed him and snapped the thing and then stabbed him. Did he stab yeah. him with his own with his own spear? Yeah, or? he stabbed him
1: with the the other half of the spear. Like he, I like he didn't even pull his weapon when Theon ran
0: out of. Yeah. Him. Oh, this isn't worth it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that whole thing about being killed with your own weapon, that was one of the things that really unnerved me about the sand snakes being killed, was how oh, yeah. uh, Jess- Jessica Henwick, who, you know, for possibly other reasons that I uh, obsess about that actress, I loved, I mean, I was horrified that she was strangled by her own whip. There's something about that that is just so terrifying to be killed by your own. i not sure what I know, know her, her from. Uh, she is Colleen Wing from Iron Fist. Oh, yeah. And and she's one of the uh, A-Wing pilots in the last series of Star Wars films. Oh, okay. Or was. So I I'm, I always find it resonates when someone's killed with their own weapon. I think that's scary. Mm-hmm. But, uh, man, the fact that he just snapped it in half and just killed it with... Didn't even lift his own blade. That was just Yeah, no, he didn't even think about it. He's just like, oh, this isn't worth it. <laughs> and in fact, the only time he even, other than the lance he threw that missed, the only time he even reached for his weapon was when he had Bran. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, okay, so then what about... Okay, so what about uh, Jorah? Jorah pretty much did
1: what he needed to do. I, I wasn't surprised by him dying, protecting her. And I think he did it pretty much the way he was going to. He
0: didn't have a lot to do in this episode, but he did a very Jora episode. <laughs> he really did. It's like you can imagine. It's like the funeral of the, the guy where they're like, he lived. He died as he lived, doing what he loved. You know, like. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly.
0: <laughs> Finding after something he can't have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Protecting, cock blocking the. Uh, <laughs> the. <laughs> The uh, the woman that he's put on a pedestal. Yeah, I mean for sure. He just, yeah, he was convincing. I was impressed by the fact that he made it that far before he was finally. He was really exhausted by the time he got the killing blow in. Right, he was yeah. he was staggering by the yeah. time they got him. Um, yeah, you felt and exhausted watching him fight. Yes, and and I thought that was real. I mean, I love that about everybody that they showed. Like, uh, Mm -hmm. and we'll get to uh, Brienne and and Jamie, but I love the idea that they showed everyone fighting. Well, they showed everyone fighting to their last ounce of energy, which I loved. Mm -hmm. And then they also very, very powerfully showed a few surviving Dothraki running like fucking mad back to the keep. Yeah. (laughs) In fact,. In fact, before we, you know, before we, I, yeah. So, draw. Jir- okay. So he. Anyway, it was it was tragic that he died right before things turned. Right. Right. <laughs> he was that that close, um, and and uh, and it does call back to him pushing hard for Tyrion to be reconsidered for his role and all that stuff, mm-hmm. which was great. But but I loved how much everyone you saw how desperately everyone was fighting, but I also loved the tension of retreat. The strategic retreat and how the Unsullied had that whole sequence where they would they would close ranks and back up, close ranks and back up, yeah. so they're protecting protecting people retreating. That whole thing was just all that kind of stuff was just really fascinating me. Yeah, it was
1: it was awesome. I loved the the high shots of them closing in after people had run past
0: them. Super yep. cool. Uh, so uh, Grey Worm didn't bite it the way we thought, and. Um, um, Masandra didn't bite it the way we thought, so they they faked us out. Well, did die technically. No, no, M- Masandra, I, Masa- yeah, 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 She they kind of they faked us out uh, in that they just broadcasted the love the lovers back and forth, and then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, uh, going into you know, this I... episode, I told my wife I thought
1: Cion, Jora, uh, Lyanna Mormont. And, really? Uh, yeah, I was sure that they were going to not make it through. Um, but uh, I also thought that uh, the Onion Knight wasn't going to make it.
0: But Who did who did, did you did. think wasn't going to make it? Onion Knight. I can't oh, remember okay. his name. <laughs> I thought Tormund was going to die. Um, and I thought Jamie was going to die. No, I thought Brienne was going to die. And Mm. Jamie was going to be racked with the guilt that she dies protecting him because he wasn't as good as he used to be. Yeah. So I thought that was going to happen, and then uh, I was very concerned that Arya was going to die. Anyway, but I didn't. But I wasn't putting a lot of effort into predicting because I was kind of enjoying just not knowing what was going to happen. Right. I love the sequencing of the of the uh, the stages of the battle. I love them. The desperation to get the uh, moat lit. Mm And then I love. And I love. And I love that they basically did exactly what you expect. They just basically piled the bodies on until they could breach it.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly how you would do if you had cannon fodder instead of actual soldiers.
0: That's right. And for the most part, the the way that they approached how the whites would be used was how you imagined. I, I kind of thought we would have more of the you know the continuous exploding whites touching dragon glass on the ramparts, but mm-hmm. you know, I just. The, the, the way they did it, it felt it felt right to me in terms of, ha- but what I really love, the best part of that whole thing with the whites to me was when they lit the uh, they lit the moat and they stopped and they just stood there because yeah. that's the same thing that happened with John back in on the uh, north side of the wall when that one point where they were all stopped waiting for instructions or whatever fucking love that shit that's so scary when an unstoppable bestial non barely sentient force just abruptly stops and is like so we're just waiting (laughs) to see how this plays out here (laughs) to me that's chilling every time i've seen that happen this or other projects i think that's so chilling when the when the bet when the when the the fucking terrible creature stops attacking you (laughs) that's scary as hell because you're like why is it not attacking? (laughs) Like what's happening right now? (laughs) Uh, So, okay so what do you want to do? So you want to talk about uh, Jamie and Brienne? They really I mean they were they fought a lot of stuff that's really all that happened to them in the episode wasn't it? Right. I was impressed by how you could tell they were at their their limits particularly her I mean she was doing a lot of screaming she was not happy. <laughs> that's and, she and, and as Brienne, yes. <laughs> yes. Well, it'd be interesting to see at the end of, you know, in the next episode, how many of these characters have bad wounds, how many of them are haunted. Um, but you're right. That's pretty much, yeah, they were just fighting and pinned. And they were basically pinned towards the end mm-hmm. of it. But uh, thinking about how characters reacted to things, what about the whole thing with the hound? I fucking loved it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I loved that, too. I thought that was such a great way of handling that with his his shell-shocked expression until Barrack mentioned Arya
0: and convinced him to, like, snap out of it. Fucking, I mean, this oh, is great. a guy, he's a fucking war machine. Yeah. But He's freaking the fuck out, he's gotten religious and so he's weirded out, but also, he's morally afraid of fire <laughs> and everything's on <laughs> right. fire too. So, like, I think everything about it was just right on point. I love when something like that happens where the, 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 the badass Gets crippled by fear or indecision or something. I love it or shock. I think it's great. I mean, you know, yeah, we'd love to see him, but I mean, the, the most important thing with him is that he survives for a uh, a Clegane Bowl. That's all we need, right? So, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that was good. Uh, what else? Let's see. Um, what you want to talk about? The Crypt Dwellers.
1: That was great. I, I thought the scene with Tyrion and Sansa
0: was excellent. I love those two together. Actually. Um. It was surprisingly emotional and effective to me. It did not feel fake. Yeah. It felt he always respected her. And she respected him, mm-hmm. especially because he's, like, the one boy that didn't try to get rapey. But also well, just, like, like... Like, after the fact, she respected him a lot more than she did at the time. That's right. I love that they just had that human bond at that moment. It was just sort of like, mm, Yeah. It's just, you know, we're going to hold hands. But I also like the fact that he... Did move like he was moving mm-hmm. like, th- when they were pinned when they, that wonderfully framed scene when they're behind the uh the dais and there's I don't know what you call that um the elevated uh coffin that thing yeah yeah that they're behind it and symmetrical and you see all the craziness going around the outside perimeter of it and they're just together hiding behind it looking at each other I thought that was really good that was like that was that was movie that was movies that was like cinema level composition. I really appreciate. Yeah, that. yeah. I really like. I did not expect the
1: All of the Dead to come to life the way they did, but it does make sense that
0: you know he
1: dead. He raises any dead.
0: Well, that's interesting. So that did happen chronologically after he did the raise. mm Hmm. Okay.
1: Yeah, it I, was, I, I, I was. It happened when he was. Yeah, it happened at the
0: same I, time. As that. I thought it was... I had interpreted that it was whites tunneling through, but I guess... No, that was actually the dead in the crypts coming to life. Oh, Jesus Christ. What, what confused me was the way that the episode ended with them... So, the episode... One of the final scenes of the episode is them having moved forward in the crypt because they've heard silence. And they've kind of come as a wall forward into the frame... And they're stopped and they're sort of gobsmacked staring at the camera. And so what I wasn't sure about was, are they just like, hey, there's no more battle sounds? Or are we going to open up the next episode with something they're seeing?
1: Uh, I'm assuming that they were just listening to the battle up above, but I don't know. That's a good
0: question. Lady stoneheart you know i mean yeah, who knows <laughs> it's just yeah, really. it just it, it was just such a very specific choice to have them all stop and stare they weren't looking up you know all the sort of the pantomimes of i'm listening to things in my environment they didn't do that <laughs> right they looked straight ahead you know so I, I i don't know um so did you think that was it was it gilly that was trampled and dragged back and killed i don't look think- like it but it, it, it was—they was, it. never showed her with any
1: kind of explicitness. So I—I I can't imagine that they wouldn't have given
0: Gilliam more. Yeah. On the way they shot that. Okay. I don't know. I because initial my initial read was oh shit, but I mean I don't know Cause yeah, she's she, definitely not been on any of the confirmed lists that I've seen. She shops it. She shops at Um burlap old navy like all the other women on the show <laughs> yeah, below, exactly. below the highborn so it's really hard to tell um, okay so let's see who else let's talk about So, um, well okay so actually thinking about Sansa for a moment um, there's a lot it, Sophie Turner gets because of the X-Men thing I think that she's sort of she's sort of middle of the road in terms of people thinking about whether she's good or not but I actually think that she does incredibly good acting on this show uh, she's often acting beyond the lines that she's given. A lot I of times, feel like Sansa, yeah, hit and miss for me. Well, I think when she was <laughs> younger, I think that she she showed her age a lot more when she was younger, and when she's trying to play petulant, and she's just kind of. Uh. But in in basically from 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 Littlefinger on, I've li- I've really enjoyed watching her act. Interesting, See, I, and I I mean I like her, but I don't love her. I feel like. A lot of the time
1: she's just kind of going through the motions in terms mm-hmm. of trying to look upset or confident about things. That's interesting. And she doesn't okay. have that confidence that like Arya has about things to me.
0: Well, but at the same time, I think that's part of her character. I mean, I think it's this is, this is the this is the daughter that was teed up for marrying in and was never intended to be anything other than a noble. And Mm -hmm. then was just slapped around and raped and just ravaged and just, just, and then, and then taken under the wing of a, of a manipulator, learning from, even as she knows she's being manipulated by someone. I don't know, like, for example, her, the way she handled the realization that Littlefinger was betraying them. The way she did the See, subtle I, shift—I still feel like
1: that entire thing doesn't ring accurate to me. I, oh. That is my least favorite part of the entire seventh season. Was the way they handled the whole little finger thing. Mm. I thought they did very poorly on that.
0: So, and if they—if they had included a scene showing the two figuring him out, it would have made a difference for you, right? It would have helped at least, or not even a scene so much as just some indication that they were working together. I think it's probably not a great sign when uh, creators have to explain things, although so much of what I love is is ambiguous. So I I, I crave the creators talking about it just because I want to know what they think it was. But that's definitely one of those ones where they had to come in and when they're in doing interviews and, and, and they say, well, OK, they confirmed in interviews that she really did believe him and she was being forked off from Arya and then... At the end, when he says the thing, and she realizes that something's not right, she makes the decision to realize that she's being betrayed. So mm. they've said in interviews that she was actually being manipulated up until that moment. Like in the, I, I, th- I think, like in the scene where they kill him. I'm trying to remember when it was he said it, but, but that seems really illogical to you, no, because. It wasn't the scene of the... It wasn't the scene of the killing. It was the scene in the hallway when when Littlefinger came up to her and said, they're looking at Arya sparring or something. And he says, she's she's after what you have, and she's a threat, and whatever else. And she realized not only... She knew that Arya wasn't, that she didn't want those things, and she felt... And she realized that Littlefinger was manipulating her. Now, hmm. that's one thing. And <laughs> the full extent of his betrayal was another and they right. could have. I think they could have staged it a lot differently than they did. I think you're right that, that that the 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 payoff in that scene was based on what the viewers know about him and not what the characters do about him. Yeah, which is yeah. which is the problem that so many of these stories have. Which is like, for example, the whole last episode was people seeing each other that they haven't seen in three years or whatever, and. And having respect or not having respect for each other, and how would they if they even didn't know half the people that were cheering for Brienne being lighted? I'm not really sure that they really understood why that was important. <laughs> you know, Come they on, become they become mouthpieces be together. Yeah, yeah, okay. Warms the seat. Uh, <laughs> so, okay, so Sansa. Well, anyway, I just liked her. I liked her sh- her very subtle shift in expression and tone when she turned the tables on. Uh, Daenerys last episode and in this one I liked watching her process her vulnerability and panic she had yeah. a lot of heavy breathing and freaking out and then she had a certain thing where she kind of resigned herself to it and I, I don't know I, think, I liked her in this episode more than I thought I thought it was going to be different for her and I thought she was I, going to react to this is one of my favorite episodes as far
1: as how she reacted and acted in it I thought she did a mm-hmm. really good job in this episode
0: I agree, I agree, um okay, uh and so Tyrion, yeah, of course, we're setting him up to being pivotal and things to come, and I have to tell you, let's just talk about that for a second. there's been way too much there are too many things about Tyrion where he has shown conflict between his ability to betray his family and his inability to betray his family mm-hmm. and there's a lot there was a lot of that even uh Presented by Daenerys herself, that you know, questions about did he really know that she was being screwed by Cersei in the first place? Right. Does he know something? Does he not? Which I don't think. I think. I think it is on the face of it what it is that he was mm-hmm. he underestimated her. But but also, I think it's really important to note that he has only betrayed family members in very specific circumstances that had hurt him personally so deeply that he was yeah. that he reacted. He killed Shay and he killed his dad. But he has not shown that. So there's some ambivalence with how he reacts with Cersei even though he knows what she is. Mm-hmm. And I have this horrible feeling that in the final act of the show, he's not that he's going to be a party to something that benefits her versus not. And I hope not. But it doesn't. I think I think something. My personal
1: opinion of how that all is going to play out is that it's going to be a scene where she has a chance
0: to kill her and can't. It doesn't. And yeah. Jamie does. Yeah, I think so. I really. I want it to be Jamie so badly. It has to be. So badly. Like, I like saw him. Anything, guys. Just If it's anyone else, I'm going to be really disappointed. Well, there, there's. Um, and I'm glad our. I'm glad my theories from last week are wrong about the Night King passing through because this was you know oh, no. we had we had talked a long time ago about how how rad it would be if the whole incredible onslaught of the the get Armaged- supernatural Armageddon of the world was neutered before they even got to the end game. So I hate it. And were it I have to tell you, know, you, like like I know, I know I loved I know. this episode. I hate the way they did it. I Never. want to talk about the Night King last. I want to talk about him last because I know you have thoughts, and I know they're different. Just saying, we're in the end game now. This is it. We've talked about everybody, Tom. <laughs> all the stuff <laughs> is the pitching. No, Dendry, Pod. Didn't Where's didn't Pod?
1: Do anything. They didn't. They literally just fought. That is all. It's interesting.
0: The entire episode. Okay. One other thing, though, is uh, we talked about at the beginning about how the Dothraki were snuffed out. I thought it was really interesting to consider that that was the Dothraki the that got stuffed out. It wasn't just yeah, it was a bunch of Dothraki soldiers. Thracchi, yeah. It was all of they. Yeah, <laughs> they gone. Just old people and women left. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we've I think we've nailed everything except uh, not enough use of really badass uh, heavy metal uh, White Walkers and the final yeah. One they did the so. Let's talk nothing. about it. <laughs> yeah, but 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 let's go ahead. Talk 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 to me about all of your. Hopes and dreams being dashed by what they did with the Night King. There is nothing
1: left for me. Mm-hmm.
0: There, I mean, is there? Is there 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 for you? Uh, y- yes, but only in terms of characterization, not in terms of plot. Because I don't care. I don't care who sits on an Iron Throne because I feel like the Iron Throne is meaningless, and I think that all of these events have led to them all realizing that there's something greater that there are more fundamental th- concerns than the politics of royalty. And I keep hoping that we're going to see that it's going to end in some sort of thing where they shift away from that and become like we talked about before, like some sort of a, democracy you know? Or, yeah. yeah. And, and it kind of, and I, to me, there was hopeful signs of that when that whole thing last, last episode where she's like, what about the North? And I started thinking, fuck man, what if John, what if John represents the North? of the kingdom and Tyrion represents the south of the kingdom and Daenerys represents you know, whatever it is, the hinterlands, and they are, you know, a council instead of a monarchy or whatever. I don't know. Anyway. My biggest problem with the whole thing
1: is that A, they've taken the big bad that supposedly the entire season was about from the moment he stepped onto the scene and they killed him in one episode Yes. And more importantly, now the big bad is Circe, who is just bitchy and not a very good ruler and not a very good planner.
0: Well, um, but I love the fact that they've stripped they've stripped everyone that was in the north to their bones, quite literally. <laughs> and yeah. they're, I mean, they're a ragtag, they're a ragtag fleet at this point and they're and now they're going to be go, going up against this fresh army. I don't know. But here's I, what I'm really worried is going to happen.
1: They're yes. going to turn Danny into the villain.
0: I'm really afraid of that too.
1: And I think that's such a terrible thing to do because they, over all of these seasons, but they keep throwing those dumb, oh, but she's also really impulsive
0: at at it. She likes she, to quote Oingo Boingo. She likes to burn things. Yes, she do.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I think I, that's
0: I mean, yeah, but I'm hoping that that's a I'm hoping that's a false flag. I'm hoping they're they're broadcasting that she's an out of control Targaryen, and then then that are going to pull it back from that at the end. But you're right. I hope it, it so could too. Go that way. Yeah, I like. I'm
1: going to enjoy the next three episodes, but I'm not excited about them the way I was four days ago.
0: I think that's fair. I mean, honestly, there was, this episode was so monumental in terms of its scale and desperation. And hopelessness—that it is hard to imagine that you would feel that much emotion about anything to come, other than another red wedding situation where a bunch of people you love are just being strangled or fucking dethroated. I don't don't know. I don't know. So I feel like those last few episodes could have that kind of tragedy hook, but but I don't but I don't see them having the the momentum that this had. But on the same but on the same side.
1: There's not the motivation behind it though either is the thing, like anybody that dies in these next few episodes to me is a bigger tragedy because they're fighting for something hollow compared to yeah. fighting literally for the realm. And that's my biggest problem with it is that they've they've neutered any kind of real emotion at this point and turned it into just political hoodoo at this for the remainder. Close.
0: Just I mean, there's a huge criticism about the direction they took is that assuming they've deviated from his his little guidebook, um mm-hmm. everything has been presented that po- the politics of man are folly, and the more fundamental issues of man's relationship with nature and them the Night king representing climate change and all these other things these bigger picture man versus nature in the in the parlance of writing standards, right. Um, mm-hmm. that this is more important, the man versus nature is more important than man versus man and so a lot of the criticism is well you apparently have just landed on man versus man was more interesting, HBO and I, and I don't know We, it's hard to imagine based on the way that the framework of those final episodes are shown in terms of their running time and who's doing them and stuff, it sure seems like they're teeing us up for a big battle in King's Landing but at the same time, I don't know, maybe this battle, maybe this battle at Winterfell has fundamentally changed everyone who participated to the degree that they're going to approach the south differently. I would love it to death if they just were like we don't we don't acknowledge you, fuck you. Because in the end, like I was saying before about why the Night King is doing what he's doing, who the shit who the fuck cares about the Iron Throne? It's well, not, exactly, there's no, yeah. And but at the same
1: time, who cares is Danny and Cersei. And that's exactly the problem is she's not ever going to give it up. Right. Neither of them. They're both too obsessed with it. And that's literally all we've come down to is two women bitching about who gets to sit on an ugly chair. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But, you know I, I'm obviously still going to really enjoy it. I'm not going to hate any of the episodes. If only because the dialogue and
0: the acting is so compelling, but and complete I've and be, being a completist, right?
1: Yeah, you want yeah, to see. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, so here's a theory I have, okay. and okay. this is something that won't possibly bear out for any time soon, or oh. possibly ever, unfortunately. But I wonder if the Night King even exists in the form that it's shown in this movie, in this show, because he isn't in the books at all yet. Hmm. So there's an extremely high. And so what they've always said, as far as all of this is concerned, is that like, there's white walkers, there's whites, there's all that stuff in the books, but like the night King as an entity doesn't exist in the books. There's no one big bad And they've always talked about how George R.R. Martin has given them beats. They've told them about Hodor. They've told them how the very last episode ends and who sits on the Iron Throne. And it's extremely possible. Seven seasons, and it can't just be bickering over a throne. They've cut all of these other contenders for the throne out of the books and i'm i'm just really wondering if that's just been a tv
0: choice. Hm. That's interesting. I um well, i mean, the one thing i will say is i'm not convinced that we know everything that's up with bran and mm-hmm. i and i don't know whether it's just cuz i'm so i've heard so many bran is the night king theories. But there's something about the fact that the Night King is looking at him and he's looking at the Night King and no one's doing any fucking movements and it's all very calm that made me wonder. I just had that niggling feeling at that moment. Like, is Bran calm because he thinks this is supposed to happen? Does him being cut down create himself? Like, does that, like, is there something like that going on here where... I
1: feel like Bran is at the point where anything that happens he knows he can't control it and it's all meant to be kind of thing. He's got that, like, peaceful inevitability thing going on. Right. I do wonder, I mean, who knows? He may wake up at the end of the eighth episode and have blue eyes or something. Right. It is odd to me that he literally just kind of cruised around with ravens and watched the battle instead of giving people heads up as to what was happening or anything like that.
0: Well, that brings brings us to something else I was going to ask you about. The last uh, third of this episode or more, Bran was warging. Mm -hmm. But to where? Because we had a bunch of crows that he was watching, looking around before the Night King was dismounted. But we never saw, but but a lot of them you saw him go right into the flames and whatever else. But he wasn't, whatever he was warging with, he didn't use that to convey any information to anybody. No, he didn't say anything to anyone. I so I really think that's reason, important. But
1: I, It might be, but it might also just be him being the memory of Westeros and taking that
0: super seriously, too. I don't know. Yeah, I just felt like it was very deliberate that he was morging but not doing anything Yeah, and not conveying any information. Well, Brian is kind of useless. <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> I want fair him to enough. Be- Important, but, man, I just have a hard time seeing him be very important for the next episode.
0: Fair, fair, fair. Okay, so I think that's pretty much it. I mean, it was just an overwhelming emotional episode. It was. It was amazing. Like, despite
1: my bitterness and bitchiness about the, the coming episodes, this it was so good. Like, they – I can't think of anyone that could have pulled up an hour and 22 minutes of pure battle – with as many moving parts as this had and keep it clear and entertaining and interesting the entire
0: time. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, I think it was an almost insurmountable challenge. Just like I said about this and, and, and about Avengers, which we'll talk about later, you're up against, it's like a lose, lose, like you're up against so much expectation and you set yourself up for failure so much and, and not just in terms of what they decided to do about the Night King and all these plot points, but just the idea that they were rolling into 90-minute episodes, at least some one or two of which are battle episodes. How you keep that from being boring. The fact that they broke it up into sub-stories sub, sub stories that had different styles was very effective.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I just, I
0: I was just on <coughs> off impressed with the way they kept it going. It was fucking thrilling. And I'm emotionally, I am just wiped out today because I went from that to the Avengers yesterday morning. And yesterday evening, I honestly, I honest to God had this weird sort of, I won't say depressed because I don't really get depressed, but I had malaise, man. I had like this weird feeling that I couldn't, this itch I couldn't scratch. And I was trying to figure out what it was last night. And I realized it's that we've waited so long for the f- the finale of Game of Thrones and the lead up to and the real and the release of Avengers end game. And, and regardless of how much you engage with the marketing or not, the reality is it's a huge thing that's happened for a long time and it's finally happening and it's very suspenseful as happening all at once and you're, mm. and all the energy you spend into avoiding spoilers means that, I mean, like I was making tangible effort not to read things and I was changing how I do my day to day. This whole thing, and I watch these two. I watch these two things back to back, which are very emotional. And then afterwards, I was left with this weird, like it's like this uh, biofeedback response. That I'm like, well, I don't know how I feel right now. You know, I feel pretty. I feel pretty good today, though. So that's yeah. good. Yeah, well, that's good. All right, you, so, so what are you beat you Yeah, I beat. I beat that funk. I beat that uh, icy funk. So knowing what you know about the sequence of episodes and how they're mapped out what happens what what do we have to look forward to next week
1: Uh, I don't even know at this point like I mean obviously there's going to be some bitching and there's going to be some people going south but I legit have no idea where they're going with it now like if anything they've at least done that to me
0: but they're going to do a diversion they're going to do like an episode and a half diversion to Essos yeah,
1: yeah. I, I genuinely don't know.
0: What do you think is going to happen? Well, I, that's what I don't know because from here, we have bickering and then move south.
1: Yeah, so I and mean, obviously there's going to be a big fight at,
0: at at King's Landing.
1: But One of the things
0: that I yeah. One of the things I didn't really think about until watching the opening credits these last few episodes is that um, the opening credits have made a very deliberate point of showing this sweep up through King's Landing to a room that has both a giant crossbow and a dragon head. Mm -hmm. And it's a reminder that I keep forgetting that they've got all those giant dragon killer anti-siege weapons. And uh, that makes me nervous a little bit. Oh, also, I was going to ask you another thing. Uh, do you think that John's dragon died?
1: I don't think it did. They, they, I saw an interview specifically saying that it didn't, but they didn't ah. show it after a certain point. I do love the way that the, the undead dragon was spewing fire out of the hole in its neck. I thought that oh my was God. amazing.
0: It was fucking great. And I just loved, and I also love the composition of the scene that at the end of the battle when uh, Daenerys is cradling Jorah's body and then her dragon comes down and wraps itself around her.
1: Yeah. to the
0: ground. I read a couple of uh, different, from a couple of different sources on the internet, people saying, making references to, oh, you know, she's, the dragon is honoring Jorah's, defense of her her mother and I'm like no it no, has nothing to do with jora that was just yeah. curling up with bomb right yeah that was like my dogs doing my wife is sick <laughs> yeah so anyway interesting very interesting yeah. what a wonderful 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 episode um, yeah. a lot very high expectations big shoes to fill leading into this and it also interesting to think that the last episode that was this whole character study I kind of felt like, well, the battle sequence is going to be boring compared to that. Mm-hmm. Like, that was that was the peak. That's what the yeah. Game of Thrones is that I want. And I have to say, this, this particular battle, more than any of the other ones that they've done, managed to avoid all of the traps of becoming boring, relentless, seas mm-hmm. of gray bugaboos attacking things. Yeah. So that was, yeah. you know,
1: reassuring. But, I, I like know, that. that... That's my one high hope about the coming episodes is that even if it's stuff that I feel like shouldn't have been happening from a plot standpoint, they'll still be super fun to watch because the writing's great, the, act, the acting's super compelling, the costumes are good.
0: <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, um so let's see what's going to happen in our in our own timeline. You're going to be Racing off to do a con in Seattle.
1: I've got uh, Crypticon Seattle this coming weekend. It's just a little horror convention up there that I do every year that I usually cover costs in a couple hundred bucks, but it's one to do. Yep.
0: And uh, the, so the big got, difference from okay. previous years, the big difference from previous years and this year is this time you're bringing a boatload of post human RPGs with you. I, I
1: will have, well, I don't know, four of each of the boatload, but I will have those. Um, the big difference this year is that Devin won't be with me. This is the first time I've done that show that I won't have Devin at the show with me. So, that's oh, that's brain. interesting. Yeah, he was going to try and fly out, but he ended up not having the money in his house sitting, so he's stuck in Arizona while I run off to the horror convention that we usually hang out at together. So it's kind of sucky, but... Which yeah. means I'll be there working instead of having fun. But it means I can also just go to any restaurant I want instead of just vegan restaurants, too, so that helps. <laughs> <laughs> because See? I have to say, I like most of the restaurants Devin picked, but they're a lot more expensive than the restaurants I pick when I don't have to find vegan options for him. <laughs> oh,
0: no doubt. No doubt. You get to have cheesy balls wrapped in cheese now. Just Yeah, exactly. That. That's the name I'm going to actually. Cheesy balls
1: <laughs> wrapped in cheese,
0: 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool, man. Well, listen, um, I'll let you get back to your, your prep and your planning, but um, when next we record, we'll have to talk again about the you know the next episode of Game of Thrones, but hopefully we'll be able to uh, pull together our Avengers Endgame commentary once the slacker of the group has gotten around <laughs> to seeing it. <laughs> great. I'm sorry, man. It's hard to find time to...
1: Honestly, it's just that four-hour runtime thing that's killing me, man. I'm like, I don't have four
0: hours of the day. No, I mean, honestly, though, it was yes, it was three hours, and and there was commercials and stuff, but or whatever at the beginning. But I will tell you, one of the many things I'll say about uh, Endgame is that it was astonishing to me that they could make sitting sitting in a chair for three hours feel effortless. You do not, at least in my experience, I did not feel that drag of being like, okay, I'm stuck here. I've Like, I wasn't aware of time passing. I wasn't aware of acts. you know? I was yeah. more aware of time passing in Game of Thrones than I was in Endgame. Yeah, honest.
1: we rewatched watched uh, Civil War, or not Civil War, uh, what's that one called, Infinity War, uh, yeah. yesterday. And it definitely got me hyped to go see Endgame. And again, that was another one of those where they handled, with the exception of the Wakanda stuff that kind of got short shafts, they handled right. lots of characters doing lots of different things really well. So and I'm, in I'm fact, really I think that they
0: upped, th- yeah. and they up that in Endgame, and they do it in a in a narrative structure that is even more enjoyable to just work your way through without thinking about it. And uh, nice. yeah, I'd be really interested to, think, to think, hear about what you say. But um, I want to end with a meme that I just came across on Instagram, which is a photo of Daenerys holding one of the dragon eggs. Mm-hmm. It says, I want someone to look at me the same way this hippie chick looks at her avocado. <laughs> <laughs> I... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. Alright, buddy. Well good Have a good night, everyone. I think I think all of your opinions were fairly valid except for all of the other ones I didn't agree with, and That's whatever. Fine. We will see. Alright. <laughs> Sounds good. Talk to you. Have a good night, everyone.
1: Adios. There is only one God. And his name is Death. And there is only one thing we say to death. Not today. Oh, three members.